Chorus, chorus 1B then. You keep going and you do the chorus 1B. Yes. That's right. <coughs> and then chorus we go down to like a, a, a more chill chorus. And then a chill. This one? Jesus or the chorus? Yeah, they usually do the last verses last too. Yeah. You're going to have a longer time for this. And then if people can do it, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yep, so. And we go down. So it just finished the last one. Um, well, never mind. I'll just read the chorus for you. I'll just yeah. keep. I'll just find it. Let's do it. It's so hard sometimes, isn't it, being still? Because still requires trust. It's so hard sometimes to just say when the thunders roar and the waves come up and say it's okay. It's going to be okay. Just be still and know that God is God and that he has us in his hands and that he's going to lead us. <coughs> and the Bible is so full of uh, portrayals of God as someone who protects us <coughs> and guides our steps. And uh, life can come and really challenge that truth, really make it, you have to grab a hold of it sometimes. But just really feel the Lord saying today, you know, as Steph and Katie were singing, just be still. Today's just be still and know that God is with us. 
and with you and with me. And, and that is going to become more and more a precious thing uh, as time goes on. But uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for where worship brought us to today. It brought us right to that place of you being Lord and us trusting you and Father, being able to be still and know that all is well, no matter what the eye may see or the ear may hear, that all is well. And Father, we do, we pray today for those of us who need to hear that in a very real way, in a very real way. If you just need to feel that, I just want you to stand and just, we're just going to do it as an act of faith and an act of receiving. If you really today are in a place where you need to feel that it's okay to be still and you need the faith to be still. So Father, we just stand right now in your midst and just ask, oh Lord, that that invitation that was sung to us today, that Father, you would cause us to know truly that you are with us in the storm. You are with us when the thunders roll. And that, Father, it is okay to just be still, not to run to or to fro, and not to reach and to grasp, but to, as Stephanie showed us weeks ago, open our hands and just receive from you your love today, your protection, your mercy and forgiveness and grace. It is by your spirit, Father, that this will be done. And we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. I want to go on a little trip um, and follow the Israelites from Egypt into the Promised Land. And uh, that may take us the next two years, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I just get on one scripture, and once I start doing the research on it, um, so much stuff is in there uh, to help us as we walk towards our promised land also. And uh, we're going to pick up the story where Moses had, has come into Egypt and um, Pharaoh, of course, would not let the Israelites go. Um, and they paid dearly for that. So there were all these miraculous things that God did to get Pharaoh to change his mind. It's a great mystery about all that because at one point it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then another time he's saying it's, it's Pharaoh's heart that's doing it. We don't really know, but nonetheless, what we do know is that some in amazing miracles were done over that period of time. Then they're up against the Red Sea. And for those who know the story, I think everybody here knows the story, but Moses finally gets them out of Egypt. They go to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, who's behind them but the Egyptians, and who's in front of, what's in front of them but the Red Sea. And God does that incredible miracle of opening the Red Sea, which is very interesting because the pillar that was in front of them, guiding them through the desert, went in behind them and got between them and the Egyptian soldiers. And it happened at night. So that on the Egyptian side, there was darkness, but God put light on the Isra Israelite side, and they had to go into that sea at night. It was, a, it was a very daunting thing. They had to really believe 
that they were going to be able to do this. Uh, so, and God gave them light and, and they guide, guided them through the, the sea. And then at dawn, it says, God looked down and saw the Egyptians pursuing. So he must have let them go at some point and started pursuing. And as soon as they got in the right place, kaboom, the water came back in on them. Incredible uh, miracle. And, uh, and how do we know that happened? Because there's Jews alive today. <laughs> we have a country called Israel uh, with these people. So something happened because they're still here. But it's interesting that once they, they got through that, Miriam sang her song, and this is what she said in Exodus 15 and 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed your enemies. With your unfailing love, you will see that statement, unfailing love, all through the Old Testament. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed, and in your might, you guide them to your sacred home. So then they start on this journey towards this land of milk and honey. And Moses takes them out. We go to Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led the people away from the Red Sea. So this amazing thing had just happened. And they're dancing and singing about it. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days. God loves three days. He likes threes. He likes sevens. He likes double numbers, <laughs> as Stephanie and I are finding out. He loves, you know, 14, 40, 70. It's amazing. And they went three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Three days before that, they were singing about him and singing about what God has done. What are we going to drink? They demanded. There's a whole sermon just in that, but we won't get into that right now. But there are some things that we'll look at that, that piece of scripture we'll look at. The first is they were being led by the cloud. Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. It was God who led them to this place, not Moses, but they're getting mad at Moses. So why would God bring them to a place of testing? Why would he do this? Why would he make this? And, and you guys who've been around a while, we, we have some ideas in our head about why God did this. And, but it really needs some looking at. God was about to fulfill a promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and really at the beginning, all the way back to Adam and Eve, God had made a promise 2,500 years prior, he cursed Satan and he gave a promise. Genesis 3.15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So this is God's prophecy after uh, Satan tricked Adam and Eve into doing that disobedience of partaking of, of the tree that they should not have partaken of. And this was a promise that God gave. And somehow they understood 
that there was going to be a day that somebody was going to come and do a deadly blow to Satan. Of course, we know now in the time of Jesus that that was done, but it's not yet finished either. There is a day that God will take, get rid of Satan, death, illness, everything. It'll all disappear. But this promise is what God said to Adam and Eve at that time. And he started the process of fulfilling the people that he would do this through. So God said to Abraham roughly 2,000 years later, God finally comes on the scene and says this to Abraham. Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Huge theological package right there. But what we do know is God was at that point promising him a people group, that Abraham would be the father of a people group. It's amazing to, to think that the three major monotheistic religions in the world, all of them have Abraham as their father. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. It's an, um, that there is power coming out of that man. God put a powerful force through that man. But a nation, if you have a nation of people, you need land. So over 45 years later, well, it was more than that. God says to Abraham's son Isaac, when he was in Canaan, he said this to him in Genesis 26, live here as a foreigner in this land and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. So Isaac's son Jacob lived to be 147 years old and midway through his life, God says to Jacob, Genesis 28, at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, because Jacob was getting this vision, he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And actually Jacob's bones would actually be brought back from Egypt and deposited in Canaan. And then God finally tells Israel 215 years later, he says this to them in Exodus 6. Therefore, says the, therefore say to the people of Israel, and this is God directing Moses, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. What's so amazing about that is we see that over like 2,500 more years, 2,700 years, you are seeing God with a plan. He's got a plan. He promised it to Adam and Eve and to humanity. Then he promised it to Abraham, promised it to Isaac, promised it to Jacob. And 
I've been doing a lot of study on the, the different covenants that God has made with us, and it is amazing what God, the lineage and the way God worked it to make sure that his promises come true. And when I look at it, I go, if God is able to pull a plan like that together, and we're only, ha we're only to Moses, you should see what he does through the rest of it to get us to Jesus. But you can say, if God's got that kind of power and that kind of initiative to create the plan that he has for his people, he'll do it for you too. He's got a plan for you too. He's got a plan for me too. So it's just very reassuring to see that nothing is going to stop God. And you can see it through all this millennia that God is saying, no, I promised. And he made promises to you. And he made promises to me. But Jacob lived with Joseph and all his brothers for 17 years in Egypt. He went down there. And he would have told everybody at, over those 17 years. He would have told them about the promise that God had given to his father and to his grandfather about this nation and a land of milk and honey and all of this stuff. It would have been very well versed through all of uh, the Israelites at that time. So what was the purpose of God creating this nation? Exodus 9 and 6. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Does that sound familiar? If you go back to Hebrews in the New Testament, it talks, that's the terminology that God gives for us in the new covenant. Israel was on their way to becoming a kingdom of priests and to being holy. And Stephanie was singing it there and it was kind of speaking to me that the thing that is most definitive about God is that he is holy. And he's calling us to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a holy people in Hebrews. So we're being called to be holy. Now, the definition of holy, having the characteristics of moral or ritual purity, being singled out. And, and that's, kind of what, that's kind of what God did. He singled out Israel. And he didn't single them out for any particular redeeming quality that they had. Actually, they were the least of all nations. But he singled them out. And he did the same thing with you. He chose Israel. They didn't run around the desert saying, I want to follow you. He found them, made them a people, birthed them through Abraham, and he chose them. The scripture is very clear that even when they would try to rebel and rebel and rebel, he said, no, you're mine. You're mine. You're not going. I'll, I'll discipline you. I'll change you. You're not, you're not leaving. You're mine. I've made promises to you. And you are God's. I am God's. God chose us. I know there's will involved and I know there's all that involved, but God gives us the ability to respond in faith. I don't know how all that works. But what I know is that I did not have any inclination whatsoever to follow God when I walked into Billy Graham. I went in to see a TV production because I was into that and I was thinking, oh, look at this kind of neat and look at the cameras and all that stuff. The next thing I know, I'm down front saying a prayer. And something, something spoke deep within me and said, I don't know what this man's talking about, but I know it's for me and I, I know I should be going down. So God chose me. I didn't go in there saying, I'm going to become a Christian tonight. It's amazing. I don't understand it. But he's still calling us. He chose you. And if he chose you, he has a plan. It, you know that thing out of Romans that it says 
that everything works for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He has a purpose for you. It wasn't, he just, just didn't say, well, I think I'll call Willie and I don't know what I'll do with him. I'll just let him sit on the park bench. But no, he has a purpose. There's a purpose for our calling. So if he's got a purpose, he's got a plan. And we see the beautiful reality of how God can work a plan through what he did with Israel. Israel is such a powerful, powerful example to us. But what we're being called to when we're being called to being holy is having the characteristics of moral or ritual purity, being singled out. How do you know that holiness does not come naturally to us? The garden proved that. Uh, this week proved it to me. You know, we have to just live and look at our lives and know that holiness does not necessarily come to us naturally. There's actually a force within us that is working against holiness. And it's fighting it and it's doing everything it can to stop it from happening. Jeremiah tells us all about it. Jeremiah 17, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is. Great. Do you know who knows how bad it is? Who? Mm. Yeah, God knows how bad it is. But for some reason, he wants us to know too. He really wants us to know this. Many years down the road, this is just starting out with Moses, but many years down the road, he says something to them, to the Israelites, about why God took them the way he did in Deuteronomy 8, 2-5. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Think about it. goes on to say in verse 5, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago. But we're seeing, the, again, the statement that what's happening is for their good, and it's for our good. God's testings are always redemptive. He's trying to redeem the sinful, rebellious, unbelieving part of us and make it holy. That is never going to stop. I wish it would. I wish you could get to an age where you go, okay, that's enough, and that's, that's good. But that's not the way it works. And actually, sometimes, as, as we get older, God has to work some things out because we form ruts. We get into ruts of thinking. We get into traditions. We get into comfortableness. We get into what we want to do and don't want to do. And all of a sudden, we're just not growing anymore. We're not expanding anymore. We're not reflecting anymore. And we do, we do that with our faith. We get to a point where we say, oh, well, this is enough and this is what I do. But God always wants to take us further. He always wants to perfect something else. He always wants to have us become more holy so that we could reflect him better. And if we reflect God, we are going to be quite happy we're going to be quite happy once we start living for God in a greater measure than we were before. Hezekiah, we talked about Hezekiah before. Hezekiah, God wanted, he wanted Hezekiah to know what was in his heart. And in 2 Chronicles, however, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, 
God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and see what was really in his heart. And Hezekiah, the prophet, came to Hezekiah and told him about the sin of pride that he had. It's really interesting. Hezekiah repented and God responded. But for some reason, God wanted Hezekiah to see that. Not just so that he could make Hezekiah feel terrible, but because he wanted him to repent. And I might go a little bit further here and say this. God is a just God. We, we love his mercy and we love his forgiveness. And we love his long-suffering and his tolerance. But he's also just. He's also a father and a parent. And he wants us to grow up. And the only way we can grow up is if he shows us where we have to grow up. That's the only way it happens. And so, I mean, he showed Hezekiah what he needed to to show Hezekiah, and he just wanted him to repent. And Jesus did the same thing with, with the rich young ruler. In the New Testament, that guy comes up to Jesus, comes running up to him, and says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? So he had it wrong from the get-go, because he said, what do I have to do? Well, we are not going to do anything that's going to make us righteous before God. Um, but so Jesus looked at him and said, well, do these commandments. And he said, I've done all those. And then Jesus does that peculiar thing. And it says he looked at him and loved him. Now, I don't know what it was. I've said it before to you guys. I don't know what it was that was on Jesus's face when he was talking to this man. But it was so remarkable that in the narrative, the person remembering it and writing it down said Jesus looking at him loved him. There was some kind of compassion, something on his face because probably Jesus knew what he was about to do and he was about to pinpoint the one thing that was stopping him from entering into a full relationship with God and that was his love of money. That was where his security was. That is where his hope was. That is where his comfort and his security and his protection was. And, you know, we in the West have had a lot of that. Um, we are very much like the rich young ruler in many ways. We have a lot of money compared to the rest of the world. We have a lot of affluence, a lot of protection. We have peace. We have all these things. But those are not what we, those aren't what we are secure in. And we'll find out as we start seeing those things <laughs> disappear, uh, as they may very well if, if the world keeps going the way it is. But he, he pinpointed it to that man, not so that he would become stricken and, you know, disappointed, even though he did walk away. But I bet that guy went away and, and thought about it that night. I bet that rich young ruler went away and said, hmm... What am I trusting in? What, what am I trusting? But Jesus had to do it. He had to pinpoint it so he would know what it was that was stopping him. The single most important part of our relationship with God is, is holiness. And, and Hebrews 12, 14, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. 
And that's a pretty bold statement. But really, what is living a holy life? What is that? I mean, what we often think is that it's just doing things right, being perfect, making the right decisions. But really, I think a holy life is understanding that God wants us to come to him with what isn't holy, with what is broken, with what is not yet. And to be able to, because if we are able to do that, we're doing it because we trust that God loves us. We trust that he is willing to forgive. We trust that he wants to do this, not so that we are going to be somehow judged, but that we are going to be invited into a deeper relationship with him. Intimacy, honesty, and trusting. This is what God wants from us. Intimacy, honesty, and trusting him with all of our self. And, and the, beautiful thing about, the beautiful thing about where we are, because what God is doing to the Israelites, what he's doing there, and what that represents, he's, he's doing to us. Like that's still happening. He still wants that growth. The beautiful thing about where we are in the new covenant, and I end with this, is that we have the cross. That we know that whatever is revealed, whatever weakness, whatever mistake we're making, whatever wrong perspective we have, that once we bring it to Christ, once we bring it to the cross, it's forgiven. And then that whole redemptive part, he actually referred, he said, of redeeming Israel from Egypt. And God is continuously redeeming you and I from this, the world we live in, taking that part that is of the world and turning it into him and so that it reflects him. So that's, that's the first part of what's going to be probably a long trip through the wilderness uh, with Israel. But there's such important things about the way they responded and what God teaches them about himself and about holiness. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're saying, Father God, how you're speaking to us. And we ask, Father, by your Holy Spirit that you make this real to us today. Make it real, Father. Let us know that, Lord, it is a process of intimacy with you when you teach us and test us and bring us to a place of knowing about ourselves. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any comments? George. Amen. Pastor, I've been very, very, very deep in following your word and praying. Trust me. Mm. Trust me. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's good, George. Yeah, trust. Trust is a, that's a tough one because um, we have not had to trust a lot in our, like we've been brought up, most of us have been brought up in a lot of affluence, like cradle to grave kind of semi-socialism uh, in Canada where a lot of our needs were taken care of. And uh, so, you know, we haven't had to have a lot of trust yet. I mean, you know, as you get older, things happen and stuff, but we've never had war at our door and we've never had famine at our door, uh, pestilence. First time we've had this COVID is first kind of pestilence. I think that you could really say has come, um, but trust and learning it is, is not an easy task. Anyone else? Um, I just want to share something that... Um, Do you want to go to the mic over there? Yeah. So we'll pick you up at home. And come stand here so they can see you. <laughs> um, yeah, just a little story that actually combines what Keith was saying and, and the stillness that we were talking about and singing about uh, and trust, actually. Um, so when I had my fourth child, Ben, I um, was in the hospital for six weeks because I had a placenta previa and um, and Ben was five weeks early. So I was in the hospital for six weeks, but then he still came, they had to take him out five weeks early. And I went into a postpartum depression that was worse than my older three. And it was really hard on the older three kids because I was homeschooling them at the time. And so I was in the hospital, so they had to have people come in and, and look after them and... Um, there was just so much going on. Anyways, and Benjamin actually means, this is a little aside, but he means son of the right hand because two people, uh, two different people sent me cards about, um, from Isaiah 41, about I will uphold you with my righteous right mm. hand and that promise. And I thought he is the son of the right hand. He's the son of the righteous right hand. Mm. But anyways, in that time of him being premature, took him a whole month to regain his birth weight. He, you know, had trouble feeding. There was all sorts of stuff going on in my, in my depression. Um, God gave me these verses and they're from Psalm 105 when the psalmist is actually recounting what the Israelites went through in the desert. And it says, he spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out like a river. It flowed in the desert. Mm -hmm. So this, this idea of he spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. All I could, all I could think about in those few months after he was born, um, probably until Christmas, so a good five months, I just felt like I'm under the cloud of his covering. That's all I, I was just, he is protecting me with a cloud. He's leading me with his fire, you know, and I, I will have what I need, although I just didn't feel like I could give any more, you know, and I was so exhausted. And then one Sunday, I was leading the musical, the kids' musical. I have no idea as I look back why I was doing that when I was, <laughs> but anyways, I was leading a musical and he was five months old and we had to perform it twice, once a, at a senior's home in the evening and once at church in the morning and I had a wedding in the afternoon. And I thought, how am I gonna feed this child, direct two musicals and do whatever? 
And so I said, Lord, you have promised you're covering me with a cloud. You're going to lead me with a fire. And I got up. The sunrise that morning was a pillar of fire. No joke. He made the sun elongated. And I got, because I said to him, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I got up, went outside, saw the sunrise, and I can show you the picture. It looked like the sun was stretched into this pillar of fire. He said, don't worry. I'm going ahead of you. I will give you peace and everything will happen like everything will be fine and that is exactly what it was like he carried me right through the day and uh, it was just such a beautiful again how he speaks through creation through pictures through his mm -hmm. word but this idea of trusting that this cloud was covering trusting that the fire is leading and this being able to be still under the cloud and with the fire guiding so mm -hmm. kind of combines those that's things. great Thanks, Steph. <laughs> so wonderful. Pillar of fire. We think, um, boy, if we had a pillar of fire, everything would be great. <laughs> Apparently wasn't enough. Bill. Yeah, yeah, it's so beautiful. I mean, when one of the things about the the Israel situation coming out of Egypt, that was a long time ago, and uh, I said it before, but there's a nation here, and you know, all of a sudden, this nation that God made this promise to, that was really not a nation for for about two thousand years wandering around the world, not having anywhere to call home, all of a sudden, 1948, boom, there they are again. Like, God's promise is his promise. And no man is going to stop it. And, uh, and he's with us, and he's going to make a way. And even when it's like crazy odds, like Stephanie was up against that day, only you could have a day like that. <laughs> and... Uh, so, but he says, I'm going in front of you. And I don't know what you're walking out to, into this week. I don't know. But God is going in front of you. His angels are going to be with you. And we have every reason to expect that we are going to make it through this week. And whatever is trying to dissuade us of that, uh, we just say, pillar of fire, pillar of fire, God is with us. And uh, we just can't see it right now. God allowed them to see it. But his presence is with us through the, the Holy Spirit. So we go on. Anyone else? I was being reminded about Israelite, um, the way they keep questioning God. It's okay to question God, but do not question his ability. Mm, yeah. I think... I have been learning this for the past six months that when I can, I can ask God why is this happening but I cannot ask God why is it happening to me and where are you? No, no, no. Today, if you are facing something, you need to change your question and say, God, you did it before mm. for me. You will do it again. 
how many times the Israelite repeating, complaining, murmuring. And I always that stuck into my mind. How many times I did that? Mm. And I have to confess to God, God. That's why now I kind of, every morning when I wake up, I know what I'm going to face. But I turn that I thank God for mm. what you have done. Mm. Promises that one mm. after the other, all the promises that he has done to me. Mm. And even people around me got blessed. If you don't know, because God saved you from the accident or whatever thing, he saved people around you too. Yeah. And that is what he meant by we are the blessing of others. We are the blessing of even the unsaved one. I was sitting there, God just say that, you know how many times I save you from accident or whatever traffic jam? At the same time, he blessed those people that allow me. Mm, mm. So, and that spoke about his chosen one. Mm. And I think, I hope that if some of you are questioning God, what you are going through, let bring back all the promises that he did it again. He, he would do it again. He did it before and mm. claim on the promises. Yeah. Thank you, Sophia. Yeah, remembering the promises. It. I was saying to God, I said, Lord, what is reality? Because on some days, yeah. your reality is pretty bleak. And then on other days, you think you can take over the world. Yeah. Oh, I believe God and I'm going to live in And I was walking up the barrens the other day, trying to find out what reality <laughs> is, <laughs> by the way. Um, and he said, my word is reality. He said, that is reality. That is the beginning and the end, right there. That's what your reality is, Keith. It is not what you're feeling. It's not what you're seeing, even though those are realities. But like Sophia is saying, they are not what govern us. What govern us, governs us is what, you know, Stephanie said in the morning, you're going before me, Lord. That's your word that you're in front of me, and I'm going into this day. And darn it all, we're going to make her one way or another. So it's the reality uh, because so many things are changing. So many things are changing right now. But anyway, well, praise God. Uh. Uh, my sister had called me. She said, uh, your Um, okay, before the service I saw this. Uh, Tony, would you be able to pray? I'm going to ask people who need a physical touch, who are in need of a physical touch to their body or mind, whatever, um, to just stand. And I ask you, Tony, if you could come and just pray for them. Um, just pray for God's healing presence. Um, you can just use that mic there. and. Mm. The Lord's the same today. 
He died that we might live. Yeah. He shed his blood for our forgiveness, for our healing. By his stripes, we are healed. It has not changed. He is still the same. He's still the great physician. He comes. And so right now, as we stand before him, reach out as the, the women did and touch the hem of his garment. He is here. It is his will to bring wholeness. And so, Father, we come before you and we thank you that you sh the blood was shed, that, Lord, you are still the great physician, and that there is nothing impossible with you. You are the great I am. You are the one who comes and brings deliverance. You are the one who can heal. And so, Father, for each one who is standing here, for that individual with the brain tumor, for those that are suffering with joint pain, for those, Father, who have uh, all kinds of illnesses within their body, we ask, Lord, that, you would that your mercy would be extended and that, Father, they would realize as they reach out to you that wholeness will be restored. Lord, physical, mental, and spiritual, that those things, Father, will come to pass for your honor and for your glory. And we will give you praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Okay, we'll take up an offering. Just a minute. Just a minute. Just one minute. Less than a minute. The Lord showed me that there is a propensity among us to not truly believe what God says. That's a hard word to speak. I was meditating, and God said, what about Thomas? And I ministered, and I said, what about Thomas, Lord? He said, go and find the scripture. I went to the scripture where Jesus came back, Thomas had previously said, I will not, unless I see, I will not believe. Jesus showed up, showed him his hands. He said, put your fingers in here. Put your hand in my side. He said, my Lord and my God. He said, you have seen, you have believed. He said, Blessed are those who do not see, but believe. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. The beautiful thing about that is that Jesus came and spoke to his unbelief. He didn't reprimand him for it, though he did say about his unbelief. But Jesus met him in his unbelief. And he'll meet you also in your unbelief. Um, we all have degrees of unbelief. Nobody in this room is without some level of unbelief. Uh, but it's not a condemning thing. It is part of the human condition. And God will meet us in that and help us in that. So, Father, we, we take some time for an offering now. We give back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we have a board meeting after uh, service today. Uh, just a reminder, as I was reminded this morning... Um, Dorcas's uh, mother has passed. Um, Dorcas comes here and 
So uh, that's why she's not here this morning. So our prayers are with Dorcas and the family. Her mother, of course, is back in Africa. And um, uh, Ruth and Ron have COVID, and so they're not here today. And so many people with COVID. My nephew, Sean, and his wife.